I mean, it's beyond words, Lord, uh, that we dwell here with you, that we can have you in our lives. Um, pray today, Lord, that uh, that would be what happens here, that uh, you would speak to us. Uh, maybe not uh, even through what we planned, but Lord, deep in our souls, where we need to hear that voice from the living God, that you would come and speak into that place in our lives. And uh, that you would train us up to be praisers of you, that you would train us up to be light, uh, a light uh, toward the world reflecting your glory, and that uh, you would be glorified for that. And we could just bask in, in that presence that we've come to know and to love and to trust. And uh, we just give you this time. We, we open our hearts as much as we can, but we know that, that they're closed, that they're hard, that they're calloused. Uh, we know that they're wounded by the world, and, uh, and we blame and take it out on you so much. But yet we know you have the power to overcome our hearts, and uh, we just give them to you today. Do your work among us, and uh, have your way with us, whatever that means, and we'll give you praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. That was a good word this morning from the, uh, the worship team. I was going to grab my stool, but I don't see it, and that's okay. We're going to do something a little different today. Um, we've been talking for a while about, about the, uh, oh, we've been talking about the Bible for a while, right? What a novel concept. Uh, we've been sharing in the Word together, and uh, week after week, kind of, um, you know, just digging in and doing that. Uh, oh, yeah, the children can leave. See what happens? My brain gets, between the Professor Howard up here earlier, and then our great worship time. Uh, but anyway, we share week in and week out. <clears throat> and one of the passions, look at Rick. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, but one of, the, uh, one of the things that we uh, do week in and week out is we have this time together where we study the God's word. And, and it's great. And uh, it's a blessing uh, to all who are gathered here. And I mean that for myself as well. I mean... There's nothing that's magic about what happens here except that we open God's word and God speaks. And uh, <clears throat> it's as much an experience uh, for me as is, is for you, I hope. That's my prayer. Um, and uh, what's, what's, some, what's been on our hearts at the, as a leadership is uh, we want you to know this in your, in your personal lives. And I know many of you do. Many of you, I sent out that email last week, and many of you responded back and said, you know, this is my practice. This is my habit. This is what I do. And that's awesome. Uh, but we really want to invite those who are not yet studying God's word, um, except for Sunday mornings. And I made that joke last week about the folks who leave the Bible at, at church on Sunday, so I know where it's at. I mean, uh, we provide those for you as well here. But we really want you to be engaged in the living word of God we, because it's where we find, you know, Rick was talking about the power. Uh, we find power in Jesus' name. We find power in the text that professes Jesus' name. And uh, I just hope that, that you know that personally in your life as well. Um, more than kind of the, uh, the cliche stuff, uh, the stuff that we all hear constantly. It's those quiet places in our lives that God is trying to change us. It's those, those dark places that the Word can uh, kind of dig out for us. And so um, that's part of what we've been hoping to do through this series. And we're going to be ch sharing uh, for a few weeks here <clears throat> on how to study their Bible. And, and, but not really, about how to engage the text is a better way to put it. But the first week, we're going to start off here with the idea of how to study uh, your Bible. And this is the first of kind of three weeks on this. We're going to talk about it. And then hopefully uh, you'll be challenged and encouraged and uh, blessed 
and, and start to endeavor in the word yourself, uh, whether it be individually, which is awesome, or in small group settings, which is brilliant, and then in corporately as well. And uh, so that's what our goal is with this series here. You'll remember that we prayed a moment ago, and it's one of those things that we can't ever, ever forget the importance of. You know, I was thinking about the idea that um, whenever, whenever I was a non-believer, okay, uh, I was reading God's word, right? That's the work of the Spirit right there. I mean, that a non-believer be reading the word at all is a miracle. And, uh, and I was reading God's word, but what was weird was I was having a conversation with God the entire time with the text, and you might say, well, that's weird because you're a non-believer. Like, I didn't believe God existed. How are you having a conversation? But I just know that whenever I was in the Word, I was talking to someone who was on the other side. I wasn't saying very good things, by the way. And I, I love how big is our God. Our God is huge. Our God is big enough to handle all your junk. You know, our God is big enough to handle all the truth that comes out of your soul. Don't be afraid of that. Um, he was so graceful to me. As I, as I read the word and engaged in the conversation with them. But it was funny because in a way I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, did I pray? I didn't pray in the way that I was raised to pray when I was reading the word. I was kind of praying with my fist in the air, you know. I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> and, uh, and God showed me. Isn't that cool? So we're going to start today with something a little different. And a minute ago, that little slide popped up there. There's three basic steps, and those aren't really them. That was a sign, a subway sign or something, a piece of art. But, but three basic steps in how to study your Bible, which is what we're talking about this week, okay? And it's super, super simple, um, but it's, it's really a profound way to look at the Word. Because I know often I hear people say, well, I don't do it because I don't understand it, or I read it and it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, there's the sign I was talking about. And that, that's kind of the same vein that we're talking about today, where three basic steps are to observe to interpret, and to apply. I like that express there. That's kind of cool. And so, um, but that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and this comes from, this isn't something I thought up. This comes from, I've heard this a lot of times, but the place I read it most recently was in Kay Arthur's book, How to Study Your Bible. And someone, a friend of mine said, you know what you should read if you're going to talk about studying the Bible. You should read Kay Arthur's book on how to study your Bible. And uh, I said, you know, I think that was one of my assigned readings whenever I was at school. <laughs> And I went and dug around in my college boxes, and woohoo, there it was, the book. Uh, and so I went back and verified that that's, that's in there, and it's really cool. So I'd encourage you to check that out if you want to do some more in-depth study. But we're going to kind of use that as a jumping-off point today, and, uh, and those three steps that we get from K. Arthur and, and from other places. Um, and so the first thing we're going to talk about is observe. And on your back of your cards, I hope you got one, a connection card, uh, there's the kind of fill-in-the-blank stuff we're going to do today, which is a little different for us, too. But observing is, a, is the question that's asked here when we observe the text is, what does the passage say? What does the passage say? That's going to pop up in a minute. These things are going to roll right along. Um, and, and we're going to look here kind of like, did any of you grow up? Now, I'm going to ask a question, and, and Matt's always warned me against this stuff, dating myself. But did any of you grow up watching Dragnet? Yes, all right. See, I'm not alone. <laughs> okay. And, and Sergeant Friday, what would he always say, Sergeant Friday? Just the facts, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know why I watched that show, and I liked it so much, but I really liked that show growing up. And that's kind of what this kind of idea of observing the, the text to me kind of says that. Just the facts, just the facts. And it's kind of the asking the questions of who, what, when, where, right? And it's when you come to a text at any point, you can just say, who is in the text? You know, uh, who is the text speaking to? Who's involved in the speaking in the text? Who is moving in the text? Uh, what is happening in the text? What's going on? What do we see happening? You know, um, 
And then when and where, where is it happening? And not just where in the, in the story is it happening, but where in the text is it happening as well, right? So like not where just your physical location, but where in the journey of the text is this occurring? Uh, and then the when, when did it happen? And again, that's a contextual when as well, okay? So when did it happen? When did this go? Like who, who is the text written to as well is a great question. Or who's talking in the text? Who's listening in the text? Uh, what else is going on around the text? And well, remember that, of course, and I've said this before, I think, but context is key. One of the things, if you read an NIV, uh, that I'm, I have mixed feelings is the, the bold black headers, because sometimes they give us more presupposition in what's in the text than, than if we just read it with like open eyes to see what the text says to us, right? And so we come up to a spot and they'll say, uh, test, you know, Jesus feeds the 5,000 I see here in my, in my Bible. Well, I can just skip that whole big next chunk of text because I know that story, right? Well, that's kind of a, the, the downfall of those headers because it elicits in us a, a, a known response, okay? The, the better question is that you would ignore those when you're reading them and just look at that text and see what it actually says because some of the things that have been most profound to me are things that are in there that I've always, always missed because I've read that header first. But now the flip side of the headers is contextually they're brilliant, because you can go back through real fast and cover about four or five chapters of the book to find out what's been going on. Oh, Jesus changed the water to wine. He clears the temple. He teaches Nicodemus. Oh, I remember that story. Uh, John the Baptist testifies. Okay. And then we start to come up here to the context of where we're reading the scripture. You can do the same thing by reading the whole story. But so many times all the details, you know, they're overwhelming for me anyway. They're overwhelming sometimes. And so uh, context is key. Some other reason that I think I find context is very, very important is when you're engaging in a scriptural conversation with someone else, context becomes very important. And uh, I've shared with you before that I've had some, I've been blessed to have folks come to my door, knock on my door to talk to me about Jesus. And how fun is that? I mean, so I love those opportunities to engage in a conversation about God. And, and what invariably happens when people are knocking on your door to talk to you about Jesus uh, is they have a text that they want to talk to you about, or they, or they start to quote things out of the text. And, and um, one of the great things as a, as a uh, student of the Word of God I've been empowered to do and able to do is to say, um, well, let's look that up. Instead of someone just taking a text, saying what it, quoting the text and then saying what it means, let's look it up. And in the context you can start to have a more intelligent conversation about what's happening. And I've been amazed at how when the Spirit is willing and, and, and the hearts are open at the table, people go, wow. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying let's talk about it. Let's engage together in the Word of God. Because in the context, you start to see the story, and sometimes we manipulate Scripture to get our way, right? And this is not something of God. This is not God's desire for us to, uh, to conform His Word to our lives. That is not the goal here. The goal is to be conformed uh, to the living word. And so that's, that's what we're going to talk about. The step one is observing today. But, you know, I can tell already that this is not a very exciting thing to do, and that's what I was concerned with, you know. Not that it has to always be exciting, but what is so great? You observe first. What does that mean? Well, I thought we'd do something a little different today. And I think the numbers are going to help us with this a little bit. And I'm not sure how you all feel about an interactive sermon but that's what we're going to do today, God willing, right? It's an interactive sermon. So I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles. And if you didn't have a Bible when you came in here, you have one now. It's on the chair on the end of the row next to you there. Uh, turn your Bibles to chapter 6 of the book of John. And that's on page 741 in, your, uh, in the Bibles that we have here on hand. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, take one of those. We're perfectly fine with that. Um, 
So we're going to read John 6.25 through 59. And again, just to, just to, I mean, just to be uh, good form here, uh, once we turn there, let's pray. Let's pray again. Father God, we thank you for the, your holy inspired word we learned last week, Lord, that as God breathed, that you were speaking into our lives with it. We pray, Lord, today that as we open your word, you would open our hearts and open our minds, that we might see truth, that your spirit might be here to whisper in our ear and teach us the things we need to hear today from the text. And uh, we just trust you with it and give you all the glory and honor for everything. Amen. So we're going to read John chapter 6, 25. Uh, through 59, I think we're going to read. A couple things I want to focus on, but I'm going to roll right through here and just hear the text. Like Matt said that song, let's just hear it together. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that, endure, that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So then they asked him, what must we do to do the good works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him again, what miraculous sign then will you give that we might see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have, been, you have seen me, and still you do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me. And moreover, and whoever comes to me, will never, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him and said, because he said, quote, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus replied. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. And no one who has seen the Father except the one who, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, and only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, and yet they died. But here is the bread that can, comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us flesh to eat? 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I remain in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while he was teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. That was a lot of text, right? A couple of things that I kind of drew me into this text is this twice Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says that twice. I am the bread of life. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and so I want to talk about that a little bit, but I'm going to pull up this next slide here, and we're going to try to do something, because I, I really want you to see how this, this uh, it's called inductive study method works. We have the four questions of who, what, when, where. We've got a why and a how and a context as well, but some of that stuff gets into the next step. So I just want to say, ask those questions of all of us here. What do we hear in this text? There's no wrong answers. Can I say that? Is that okay to say there's no wrong answers? What do we hear? Anyone? Okay. So under who, we have Jesus... That's a good start, right? We also have the Jews that are grumbling. Okay, we have the Jews. Anybody else? We'll just keep going, and Amanda's going to keep kind of putting them in. It's J-E-W-S, Jews. That's close, though, Jews, but let's change that. Uh, anyone else? The disciples? Yeah, now see, this is what's interesting, because we get into this, look where we started the text in 25, when they found him, who's the they? Somebody said disciples? Anyone else? How would we figure out who the they is here? I'm sorry? Where'd you see that? All the way back at chapter 6, beginning. Sometime after that, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him. Oh, so they as a whole crowd. The disciples are there as well. See, now, okay, wait, I thought that Jesus was talking about the disciples only. And we know he's talking to the Jews. Disciples put a put crowd in there under who? What do we see happening in this text? Some of these questions are a little harder than others, aren't they? Okay, we see him rebuking at the very beginning, right? You're seeing that there, where he says, you came to me not looking because you saw a miraculous, but because you ate loaves and had your fill, right? Isn't that funny? Yeah, well, you know, see, now we get right to the preaching. We don't want to spend some time, <laughs> you know. But yeah, he rebukes them for why they're following him at all. Wow, isn't that kind of a crazy thought? What else we see? What else we see going on here? Yeah, they're arguing amongst themselves. I'll put that under what? They're arguing. Challenging. Good. We hear about eternal life. Okay? What is the, What would that go under? What? Yeah, what he's talking about. Eternal life. Lack of understanding. 
A lack of understanding what? Okay. So you think there's, a, there's some misunderstanding going on. That's good. Good. Under, um, how about the wind? Let's throw some stuff in the wind category. When did this happen? And this can be contextual or wind on the road or anything else. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Matter of fact, isn't it funny? Let's put bread in the, in the what too, right? Because this bread thing keeps coming up. He says, I am the bread. But, but yeah, you're talking about back in, uh, and see here's these headers coming in. At the very beginning of chapter 6, Jesus fed 5,000 people, right, with bread. And, and matter of fact, in the beginning it says, that's why they chased him across the lake, because they wanted more bread. And his rebuke was, you're chasing me not because you saw a miracle, but because you're full, and you want more food. <laughs> oh, anyways, we got to, uh, God help us, right? Uh, so when, after, after the feeding of the 5,000 under the wind category, um, where does this happen? Okay, the Sea of Galilee. In the synagogue. So we got the Sea of Galilee here on the where, and we got the, in the synagogue in Capernaum. And you can just do your best to spell Capernaum. C-A-P-E-R-N-U-M, maybe. We know what we're talking about. It's kind of a big deal, right? He's not just saying this stuff on the beach, you know. What's he, what else is he talking about besides bread? What else do we hear in there? Known to who? <laughs> yeah. If you're teaching in the synagogue and you start talking about what? Manna? I mean, you know, we say there's a little misunderstanding here. There's a lot of misunderstanding going on here. But he's making some claims. Yeah. What works under the what? The what works? <laughs> Yeah, relationships. You see how it just starts to fill up. You, and this just goes on and on. This is a lot of text, and I apologize for that. But I also want to give us a lot of little footholds to dig into here on it. Uh, all this stuff. I, I think that um, this idea that he's, that he's in a synagogue is no accident. The idea that he's in Capernaum, the idea that he's talking about uh, bread from heaven after he fed them real bread, right? A miraculous thing. What was the manna story? Who, can, who tells us, who knows the manna story? <coughs> can anyone share that with us real quickly? Right. So there was this bread. They were starving to death. Well, okay, they thought they were going to starve to death. And, and so God said, I will give you bread every day. And this bread came right out of the ground. That's kind of what the text says. So it's just, it's just 
just this bread from heaven, and they had to eat it that day, and, uh, they, they, but they were always sustained. God always sustained them through the desert. Isn't that amazing? So he's making this claim about the bread of life, and that's why, you know, I, I always, we read these texts, and, and, um, and then what book is this written in? This is the book of John. Does that have any significance for us? Who was who John writing to, do you think? More the context question. One of the difficulties with John is, uh, you know, when you look at the very beginning, John just goes right at it. And I love that because it's inclusive. If you go back to John 1, chapter 1, uh, it just says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, but the darkness had not yet understood it. Uh, what does that sound like? Yeah. Yeah. The logos, yeah. And he, oh, yeah, right? And, the, and he's getting into this whole creation narrative. I mean, the book of John, he's writing back. If you heard the Genesis account, I have a story for you. This is John, you know. And towards the end of the book of John, we'll start to hear some of the wrapping up where he's saying, I've written these things down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that's a big deal. He's the Messiah. So John's writing to all of us to hear these words about God. Yes, sir. Mm. A parallel, almost like he was on message. <laughs> he was trying to say something. Uh, good. We, so anything else we want to throw up here before we move on to the... See, you could just go on and on, and you can do this individually. I just think that sometimes we, we um, make it more complicated than it is. Like there's some high holy room where the word of God, you know, oh, comes down, you know. And if you're in that room, if you're lucky enough to be allowed to be in that room, no, no, no. no. One of the most profound things is that we have this, uh, this Bible. And the NIV uh, is written very read, uh, easy to read, easy readability, right? And there's even more readable versions. There's the message you can get into and just kind of, just kind of twist the word a bit to see different angles and views, but it's, it's um, people trying to be faithful. And then we talked about Greek, by the way, and the original language and how beautiful that is. And boy, that, that just, you just go right off the cliff, deep stuff with Greek, because there's all this kind of innuendo and all this nuance that we don't get. But we get enough, like John says in the end of his gospel, that we would believe that Jesus is the one who God sent for us. And so we have this story that comes out. Now, so this is the observation section, and we're going to kind of pop back out here and talk about the rest of this process, but we've heard all these things in the text, and there's many, many more, because we covered a lot of texts, and I know those of you who study a lot are going to go, man, we didn't even scratch the surface, and you're absolutely right. But look at all we got, right, just talking about it together. And um, by the way, we talked about just kind of setting and meditating, too, and we're going to talk more about that, because this is all about studying the word. We have these kind of forms that we always use. Oh, you got to study the word like it's a, a textbook, a school book. And we have our glasses on and we're like, hmm, study the word today. Some of us who didn't like school, study's a bad word. 
You're like, I don't want to study again. It just means engaging the text and hearing what it has to say uh, to us in our lives. The second step is interpret. And interpretation is like, what does this passage mean, right? And that's on your cards there. I mean, what does it mean? And so um, we talk about that a bit. And I'm just going to pop ahead here, but we're going to talk about uh, um, everyone brings something to the text, you know? We, we like to say we don't. We like to say, uh, well, we, I just read the Bible for what it says, and it's absolutely what we should be doing. We should be, first and foremost, honoring the word. Let's not bring assumptions into the text. Let's not see that header and impose stuff upon it, right? That's what I was talking about earlier. But rather, let's read it for what it is. Some, by the way, one great way to read the text is to try to take, get a copy of it and take all those numbers and stuff out even. Even the chapter breaks. Even the page, the number breaks. And just read the whole thing as narrative. There's a new Bible out now that's the same translation with no numbers in it at all. It's just like a big book that you have to read through. They got, chap, they got book breaks because those are from the scrolls, but, but none of the other divisions are there. And so it's this kind of idea, but a great way to read the word. But some people say, well, I just read it, I read it just the way it is, you know? What does it mean? It, it means what it says, and it says what it means, and that's what it is, and there's nothing else to it, right? But that's totally not accurate, <laughs> is that fair to say? Because we bring stuff to the text, don't we? God knows this. when he's, That's one of the great things about the text. When God speaks to us through the text, we come in a certain place in our lives. We have a context just like the text does. And we come to this word, and we're needing to hear a word, or we're looking for something, and we're waiting. And sometimes God doesn't show us what we want to see, but rather what we need to see. But it's there, and it's all contextual. We bring it in. And you might say, that's crazy. That's not true at all. I read it for what it says. So I was trying to think of an example, something we can all relate to, right? Something that's all about how you read it and what you, what you look at. How you look at it. How are you interpreting it? So here's this thing. You've seen this before. <laughs> Couple of chuckles. This is not the place to be laughing about this sign now. This uh, slow children playing sign. My favorite thing in high school when I was out cruising with my friends is we would see these signs, and we just thought they were hilarious. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons they've, they've stopped putting these all over the place, especially in this way, is because they, they keep getting stolen because people just think they're a riot, Right? Why? One person said, they were talking about this, and they said, for heaven's sake, how much would it take to put a comma in there? <laughs> you know, slow children playing. And of course, the joke is always to, you know, slow children playing. We, we relish, we re love that idea. It was in our neighborhood, and we're like, whoa, that's us. You know, we're the slow children playing. You know, it's terrible, right? But it's so funny that that's how you read it. So you're supposed to say slow Children playing. For those of you who haven't figured that out yet, that's the way you're supposed to read that. But we don't. We read it. We bring something in. Let's look at the next one. They've, they've been working on these for a while, see? Same thing. Now they put the little boy running in the middle to try to, because it's not funny anymore. But this is kind of funny because 45 miles an hour, those aren't very slow children. <laughs> kids, kids in that neighborhood are going to be fast, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're rolling through that 45. Goodness, slow children play. Oh, man. So, so these kids are uh, not so slow, really. The, you know, 45 miles an hour. Go to the next one. This one has slow children playing, but please, don't stop. <laughs> because they'll just get confused. You know, they're slow, but not that slow. Don't, don't clog up the traffic. No parking on this one. And then, and then just to prove to you that this has been an issue for everyone, the government everyone else, look at the last one here. 
Yes. They finally figured it out, reduce speed. I mean, because why? Because I'm sure they were getting all kinds of calls saying, those signs are wrong. You shouldn't make those signs. Oh, those signs, my children and their, you know, uh, ego or whatever it is, you know, their, their self-esteem. The question is, what does the text mean to say? Because we can impose all kinds of things onto it. We can make it say things that it doesn't say at all. But the question we have to ask, and again, this is with much prayer, is, God, what are you saying through this word? What are you trying to convey to us? What does the passage mean? And so we do that, that same kind of a thing with the, uh, what, the, um, what the text means. But even the disciples, I want to remind you that even the disciples of Jesus Christ himself, while he was living and speaking with them, I love the Gospels because they record all this kind of not sure about itness, right? The, the disciples come and say, well, Lord, what does that mean when he says these things? And the disciples themselves spent a considerable amount of time trying to figure out what exactly Jesus was saying when he was saying it. There's this great passage from Isaiah that says, those speaking, they will not understand, right? This idea that even though the word, the gospel is communicated, we're not going to get what's going on. And that's kind of discouraging, but, but not really, because by the grace of God, the miracle has happened, and we understand that Jesus is our Savior. Once again, I want to remind you that context is key. We need to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture as much as possible. Does that make sense? I'm going to say that again. We need Scripture to interpret Scripture as much as possible. You don't come to a text out of the blue and impose your life upon it. You can, but it's almost like praying in public. You've received your reward, right? Any manipulation you got out of the text, go you, but it's not, it's not of God. The Scripture, as we're talking about with <clears throat> excuse me, the beginning and ending of this book, it's on message. There's a point. There's a point to the book. It's written to a people. It's written to a group. And we need to know what that is. Who, who, what is the intent of the author here? Who are they trying to speak to when they're writing these words of God? Right? This theonutos. And um, Scripture can interpret Scripture in many ways, but in this way, we talk about well, what does the bread mean? Well, we can talk about all kinds of analogies of our own life. What bread means? You break it in the, bake it in the oven, it smells good, you like it, you used to have bread with your mom, you remember the PB&J that was cut by diagonally because she loved you, right? I just read that recently. I mean, you know, all this stuff we remember about bread, but the, the, the foremost place we get our interpretation of what the word is saying is from the word itself. And here Jesus talks about manna, which is bread that Israelites knew about. Right? And so he's directly correlating himself. And they make some valid points saying, Now, how can you be manna from heaven when you came from a woman and a man? Because we saw, we saw your parents around, you know. But they don't yet know that God's the Father, which is what he begins to speak about as well. All these things get Jesus in trouble. And so we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture as much as possible. So I want to do the same thing with the book of uh, John here and ask this question So, what do you think this passage means? And this will be, again, this is. We're going to get a little deeper here, but uh, what do you hear this passage saying to us? And again, there's no wrong answers. We're just going to throw them up there and see what we, see what we get. Okay. It's, yeah. Where did you... Do? Right. So he's trying to communicate, the text is saying something about faith of, of things that we don't see, but that are more real than what we do see. Yeah. Almost like he says it kind of with the miracles in the, 
and the food. He also says it with the flesh and blood. Okay. So this, right. Yeah, by the way, another great, last week's bulletin had those words in the front of them, the cover that was Second uh, Timothy, right? Um, there's this great little webpage called wordle.com, and it's, it's of no particular spiritual anything. It's just this page that someone thought would be cool to write a program that would do um, algorithms based on the number of times that words appear in a text, Okay. Well, the way I found out about this is I, I was reading somebody's blog, and they, they said they love to mix in curse words in with all the other words, and people don't know they're there. But, of course, I thought, i got to look at this site. i got to see what this is about. Well, I went there, and I started plugging in text. The scriptures? Wow. It's like a word counter, but it's a visual. I put in the entire book of John, 10,000 words in the book of John I put into this thing, and ran it. You know what the biggest words were? Jesus said, this book is all about Jesus. All about it. It's huge. There's these words on there you can't even see with a magnifying glass, and Jesus is like in 48, 128 point font. You know, it's just monstrous on this thing. I have the graphic. Jesus said, and then other words pop up. Baptism, believe. You know, all these words kind of, the, the significant words pop out. So the question, it's something about what the author is trying to convey, and it's exactly right, this idea of faith in things that we don't see that are more real than what we do see. Wow, that's a pretty profound message there, right? What else? Someone said earlier about uh, relationships, right? There seems to be this really strong idea, and he gets into some trouble here when he's talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood at the end, right? But he says, then I will be in you. It's kind of a crazy concept, right? But there's truth in that as well. The, the very act of remembering, and we're going to talk about that towards the end of the service, it's somehow he, he becomes part of us, consuming. Hmm. What else do we see? Anyone else have an interpretation for this text? Yeah. Eternal things. Yeah. Good. That there's something bigger than what we see. And know what you believe and why you believe it. They're doing a little interpretation of their own, weren't they? How can you say you're the bread of God? Because the bread of God was in the manna was in the desert. Don't say you're that. That's that's holy. And he says, What do you think? Moses gave that to you? Right? It's a good word. Yeah. One other thing is the physical nature of how he's bridging the gap between, you know, just the physical and the spiritual, where there is a physical need for the word. Mm-hmm. 
The word is physical. We eat the word. Not just read the word or hear it. It's an actual taste in their Jewish mindset of, of, of wholeness. <laughs> yeah. The whole, you know, the whole you, you said we taste it. What is that? There's a verse. Taste and see. That's, I mean, it's, it's First Testament stuff, right? This is all stuff, that's right, that, that we knew about. By the way, in the observing places, is it okay to imagine yourself there? Is that a valid form of Bible study? To just try to think, all right, just get out of the black and white text for a minute and just think, okay, you're there. Let's just do that for a minute. And, 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 and you're, you chase Jesus across, around this whole lake, and you find him again. And when you find him, he's rebuking you for chasing him for bread, and he's saying, I am the bread of life. How does that feel to you? How do you hear that? You know? See, he's not bound. He's not bound by things. That's what I think that we miss. He wasn't bound for them chasing him any more than he's bound for us. So, so is it okay to do that? Is it okay to imagine? What does it smell like? That's a great idea. Some of the, some of the passages of Scripture we read are pretty stinky. <laughs> Earthy, we could say, politely, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So a lesson, an interpretation is that that believing is an action. Is that what you're saying? I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. It's an action, but it's not an action. Like we always want to know what's the activity that you should be engaging in. Right. It could be godly. It could be answering prayer. It could be doing something that's really not an activity. Mm. <laughs> and then going along with this other comment, it kind of is believing in a way that actually that you have some consistency in what you're saying, that you, it shows. You're not just saying, you're not professing here. You're, you're actually believing, like being. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So we're going to go to the last. So that's, so that's the kind of the idea. And you can just go on and on. And then you know what you might have to do? I mean, don't, don't, don't feel, that's why I said there's no wrong answer here, because don't feel like if you write it down, it's the word. Don't feel like, okay, that, we've said it today, so that's it. Absolutely, that's the truth. You have to be comfortable going back through with some whiteout or some, some markers and going, man, I was wrong on that one. Goodness, thank you, Lord, for not letting me believe that. For, because we can come up with some kind of concocted ideas, right? That are just, they sound great in the moment. You, you sleep on it and you read it the next day and you go, no. <laughs> you know, so don't feel like if you've written it down, somehow it's, 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 it's in stone. It's an interpretation of the word. What the word is saying to you in that moment. Yes, Gwen. Well, 
Yeah. And why we can keep going back to the same passages and we can find new passages and can see how things tie together. But I just want you to, yeah, absolutely. And feel, but feel free to, to, don't feel like you're sacrilege to write something down that might be wrong. It's very human. <laughs> and you just go, okay, thank you for teaching me right and scratch that off the list. Okay. And, and especially with, um, some of the ways we can do that is with, uh, because we want to do this before we get to the last step, which is apply. Some ways you can do that is by reading more of the text, by engaging in more of the scripture, by talking to friends who've been in the word for a long time and say, you know, I think it says this. What do you think? And I can tell you where two or more are gathered, there starts to be some discernment that's more profound than your own. And you start to go like, and, and friends who love you will say, no, I don't think that's what it says. I think, I think where you're at in your life, you, you think you want to say that. Or maybe they'll say, yeah, that's awesome. And then you go tell a few more friends, what is that? Look at that. Oh, my gosh. And then you get excited about something like the Word of God because it's living Word of God. Another way you can do it, though, is look at commentaries, look at things that people have said before. You know, it's not the, the end-all, be-all. There's been some interpretations that have stood for a long time that have been wrong, right? But it's a way to kind of check ourselves against the larger Christian community so we're not out there, you know, in the woods by ourselves and missing the point. And then the last step we're going to talk about here is apply. And this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is, the, this is probably, you know, you kind of see you spend a lot of time in the observation because you can't spend too much time there dwelling with the word and then you spend some time interpreting it. So what does that mean? What is it, what is it saying? And can I get out of the way long enough to hear what it's saying to me? And then the last is, you know, how does the meaning of this passage now, right, what we just discovered, how does that apply to me? And I put apply to us because sometimes when we're studying in a group, it applies differently than if you're studying individually. And you can do both ends. You can say, how does it apply to me? How does it apply to us? This is a big deal. And just like the consistency we talked about earlier, to, to read the word, to find truth in the word, to hear today that Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and anyone who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, I will raise in the last day. The work of God is to believe in the one he sent, right? These are all things we heard from John today. And to hear this, and then to go away with our lives like nothing matters, like it didn't have any impact is an adventure in missing the point. Too many times we left the truths found in scriptures untried. Apply it to your life. Get, and this takes the hard, probably the hardest work here. So what does that mean, Lord? What, do you, what are you saying to me through this? How should my life, how should I be conformed to your word now? It's also what I like to call the so what principle. Did you ever have those conversations with people where they go on, and I'm sure you've had them with me before, <laughs> where someone goes on for a long time and at the end you just want to go, so what? <laughs> you know, what's the point? This is the so what principle here at the end. So what? What changes in my life? What difference is made because I engaged in the word? And I don't want to get into a theology of doing because there's traps there. But there's something that when we, when we see the, the word revealing the truths in our lives, and you know that place, right? You know that place in your life when you read the word and it just cuts you so deep. We talked about that. And, and you go, oh. And in that moment, you can make a decision. And you can decide to let God change you or to ignore God. And that's where you come to with the application one of my favorite passages is Romans 
chapter 12, and it says, be no longer conformed to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love the idea that it's a continual thing. You keep going back, and your mind keeps getting shaped and molded and tweaked, and things that you think you need, you don't need, and God takes them away from you, and you might mourn the loss of them, but it's for your own good. Things are being removed. Things are being changed because you're being made into the likeness of him, the one you've believed, the one whom you've taken in. One of the things I wrote down, I'm, you know, I wrote, you don't have to like it, you just have to do it. <laughs> I don't know if I like that, even saying that. <laughs> but sometimes you take things on absolute faith and you see it in the Word and you try it. John Wesley was one who was great for this. He had a little di- uh, journal he kept. And when he would think he'd seen something in text that said, do this, he would write next to it, tried. And then what the results were, didn't go very well. He tried some crazy stuff that he thought he saw in the Word of God. He tried it. He applied it, you know, and, in, and not in some holy, sacred place, but in the very dirty places of our lives, the very real places of our lives where we live our life. That's where you try the Scripture out. You begin to live out of it. And so the last question that I'm going to ask that we're going to talk about today together is, so what do you think? What are some things that we can apply from this text? And if they're personal, don't feel like you have to share them. But if there's something that, that the group can, you know. Hmm. To look to Christ for fulfillment. God's sovereignty. So how does this change our lives? I heard Bob kind of say, maybe we, maybe we try to live more daily and not, you know, with a long view all the time. It's, you know what, though? Listen, y'all. Y'all did the sermon today. Did you hear that? I wasn't making that up. There was, none of that stuff was worked out. God had a plan. It's very true, this idea that we are following the, create, the creator. Wow. You know? 
I want to read as we, we're, gonna, we're not going to finish here. I hate to always say that, but we're going to come into this next part because I want you to hear what you just talked about as a body of Christ. What you just experienced as a, as a follower of Jesus, individually what you've done, and then communally what we've done. I want you to hear what the disciples who were following Jesus said. Look at with me in verse 60 if you would. On hearing this, on hearing what Jesus said, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, so even his own disciples, right? Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, because Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of the disciples turned back, you see. From this teaching, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And I want you to hear what Peter says. I just found this so profound. Jesus says to those who are still remaining, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you ever feel like... Um, God's gone to so much trouble just for you. When I hear Peter's confession here of, Lord, where else would I go? I just hear this individual heart responding to the living God. All for Peter? All for me? We don't hear this text in a vacuum. Every one of the Gospels says this about communion. He gathered around the table with his friends. I want you to hear this today. Even the one who would betray him. A couple of the Gospels actually say, Jesus professed that someone who's dipping the bread in the cup with me today will betray me. He knew full well at the table what he was doing. He knew full well what was coming. And he taught those closest to him something about this bread of life. One of the ways that we apply this text, apply this passage, someone said earlier, some of the early Christians got in trouble because people outside heard they were cannibals because they were having these communion feasts. They were having these love feasts where everyone could come and eat. Everyone could come and share in the bread of life. There's more than enough. There's more than enough. And what they did is they remembered Jesus sitting around the table with the disciples at that last supper. The text says the night before he was to be put to death. And he says he took an ordinary loaf of bread. It would have been flat bread, right? <laughs> this is great, though. Look at how big this is. 
And it says, as he broke the bread, he said to his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. It says in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten a meal, and he offered the cup of thanksgiving to his father. And then he said, take from this cup every one of you and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, a blood of a new covenant that will be shed for you, Peter, for you, Andrew, for you, right where you are, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says this thing, he says, every time you do this, remember me. But I don't want to forget that the text say in John said that if you would eat of my flesh and you would drink of my blood, I will always remain in you and I will raise you on the last day. I'm going to invite you to this table that's not mine, that's not Family Bible Church's table. This is the table of Jesus Christ prepared for you, a reflection on the word, a consumption of the word. As you were led, come forward and respond.